Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and then grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. Well, um, like I said, I've been out the past two Sundays. Excuse me. I've been out the past two Sundays, and uh, my family is on vacation, and uh, we always go to, uh, you've heard guys heard me talk about this, that we go to the Outer Banks of North Carolina every single year with Leah's family. Here's a couple photos of this. This is a picture from the deck where I was sitting one night at dusk. Take me back. Ah. You know, the beach in North Carolina in June is very different than Florida. It was 75 with a breeze. Oof. Oof. It was so good. It was so good. So this was a great evening. I had Asa next to me. This is all of Leah's family, her crazy family. There's 20 plus people in one house for an entire week, and we leave and still like each other. So that's a miracle. So we had a fun time here, and here's the picture of me and Leah. The Johnston party is six. There it is. There's everybody. There's us in the house that we all rented and stayed at, so it was a lot of fun. It was a great time. We ate way too much food. We slept. We played. And uh, man, it, it felt like a miracle for my family because as you can see, we have several kids and this is the first year and I can't remember when we have children that all sleep through the night and we went on vacation. It's real. It can happen. Oh my gosh. So it was a great week, and it's great to be back with everybody today. In fact, I want to talk about that for a minute. I want to talk about what is your idea of a perfect vacation for you. Uh, by show of hands, and even maybe if you're watching this with someone somewhere online, maybe you can reference this too. How many of you, your perfect dream vacation is somewhere on a beach? How many of you are mountains? You're sick of beaches. Oh, we live in South Florida. We're sick of the beach, right? How many of you, it's nowhere. I just want to stay at home. How many of you? Three. Okay, never mind. No, okay. All right? Okay, let me ask you this. All right, so that's your idea of a perfect vacation. What's your idea of a perfect day off? Some people want to do nothing on your day off. How many of you want to do nothing on your day off? Awesome. How many of you, you got to do something fun? You got to do stuff on your day off, right? Okay. Everybody's different. Our personalities are different. We all do vacations and days off differently. For me, on my day off, a perfect day off starts with a delicious breakfast, maybe getting a quiet time. I want to work in my yard. I want to get a workout. I want to go on a date with my wife, Leah, and I want to enjoy God's gift to humanity, an afternoon nap. Ooh, yeah. Yes. Now, what I want to talk to everybody about today is that God is actually the inventor of the day off. And God is the inventor of time off. And so if you're new to faith, or maybe you're new to church, or first time in a long time to church, or maybe you're checking us out online, this is one of the best reasons to follow Jesus and to follow the God of the Bible, because he invented the time off, and he invented the afternoon nap. And all the men said... Amen. Women like afternoon naps too. I'm going to hear about that later. And all the ladies said, okay, this is one of the best reasons to, I almost got in super big trouble with my wife just saying, this is one of the best reasons to follow God is he is the inventor and the creator of time off, of rest. He's the God of restoration and he's the God of the reset which is our series that we're going to be concluding today. 
We've been talking in the past three weeks, and we're going to wrap it up today, with how God uses rest to reset the speed of life, especially the speed of life that we're plagued with in 2023 in Western civilization, especially in South Florida culture. God has come to rescue us from the insane pace of life, and he does it through rest. So here's where we've been the past couple of weeks, just a quick catch up. We talked in week one about simplicity and how God, uh, the way of Jesus and the practices of Jesus and the lifestyle of Jesus is displayed in where he teaches people that actually by deliberately owning fewer possessions, that's what we said in week one, it's as simple as that, own fewer stuff, like that's going to change my life and bring rest to my soul. Yeah, it is. Because when you own fewer things, it helps us realize that, how do I want to say this? When you own too much stuff, your stuff ends up owning you and speeds up life. Well, Jesus teaches a way of of simplicity. Then we talked about slowing and deliberately cultivating patience and deliberately engineering situations in your life that are going to make you wait and make you slow down to cultivate patience deep in your soul, because God is a patient God. Jesus is never in a hurry. We don't have a single verse in the Bible that says Jesus ran anywhere. Thank God I've got short legs. I hate running. <laughs> but he was never, ever, ever in a hurry. Wow. Last week, Pastor Dale talked about surrender. What a great message this was. We listened to it on the road on the way back. And it was basically summarized in this. There are several areas in our lives where I just can't, no matter how hard I try. But God can, and I think I'll let him try. It's a beautiful, beautiful message. Go back and listen to it on YouTube. And today we're going to talk about Sabbath. Everyone say that word, Sabbath. We're going to talk about that. What does it mean? How to practice it? How it's been misunderstood? We're going to just get all over that today. So um, our passage that we've been in and anchored in over the past four weeks is the most famous chapter in all of scripture. It's Psalm 23. And usually in our church, we preach and read from the New International Version of the Bible, the NIV version. But just to mix it up a little bit, because we've been reading the same chapter for four weeks in a row, we thought we would read a different translation every week. Dale last week read the old school King James Version, just like Jesus had it. <laughs> And then um, today we're going to read on the complete opposite side of the spectrum, a super modern paraphrase um, called The Message. So um, go ahead and stand if you are able, and we're going to read this all together. And so uh, this, again, this is not necessarily a translation of the Bible. This is a paraphrase by the wonderful and the late, great Eugene Peterson, who's just such a gift to the church of Jesus and is in heaven with him now. And uh, anyway, so this is Psalm chapter 23. So it's going to be very different than you've ever heard this, but it's going to be uh, the same meaning and the same truths. So let's read this and pray this all together. Ready? Go. God, my shepherd, I don't need a thing. You have bedded me down in lush meadows. You find me quiet pools to drink from. True to your word, you let me catch my breath. And send me in the right direction. Even when the way goes through Death Valley, I'm not afraid. When you walk at my side, your trusty shepherd's crook makes me feel secure. You serve me a six-course dinner right in front of my enemies. You revive my drooping head. My cup brims with blessing. 
Your beauty and love chase after me every day of my life. I'm back home in the house of God for the rest of my life. Beautiful, right? This is the word of God for the people of God. Let's pray. Let's pray. So Lord, here's my simple prayer today. As we open your word and learn about this wonderful gift called Sabbath, would you be the God of Psalm 23? And Eugene Peterson said that we have a cup that brims and is full. And in other translations, it says, my cup overflows. So I prayed, Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus, that you would come and fill every empty cup and every cup in this room to be overflowing with your love, your presence, and your rest today. In Jesus' name, come Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. You may be seated. So we've been kind of working chunk by chunk through this wonderful psalm, this wonderful chapter over the past month of June. And we're going to conclude today by looking at the last two verses. And I'm even just going from the message with what we just read. Let's go to verse 5 here, 23 verse 5. So it says, uh, David is praying here, and again, it's paraphrased by Eugene Peterson of you. This is a prayer to God. God, you serve me a six-course dinner right in front of my enemies. You revive my drooping head. My cup brims with blessing. Let's pause right here before we go to verse 6. So um, the metaphors that David is using in Psalm 23 for God, at first he starts off as God as shepherd, as defender, provider, guide, and comforter. It's wonderful pictures of all the different intricacies of the goodness of God. And the metaphor shifts in verse 5 where God has moved from shepherd and guide to now God as divine host of a party. That the goodness of God is so rich that he's not only throwing a party and wants to invite you to it, he's throwing a party for you. And even in the presence of your enemies. Incredible. There's so much rich imagery here. There's feasting, celebration, vindication, provision, blessing, honor, filling, all sorts of things. And then here in verse 6, it says, Your beauty and love chase after me every day of my life. Incredible. This is what Keith talked about when we prayed in the offering of how God's love pursues us and comes after us. And then I'm back home in the house of God the rest of my life. So it's not only talking about blessing and filling and provision and feasting and joy and celebration. This is also a wonderful picture of worship where we're delighting in the love of God for us and we're returning our love to him and saying how I'm back home. In the house of God. My home is not my house. My home is the presence of God. Where I'm going to worship him forever. Verses 5 and 6. Even though in any translation that you read, and if you look in the original Hebrew, it does not use the word Sabbath. It's a beautiful picture for what God desires to do in the human soul on and through the practice of Sabbath. Now, all this makes me think of a a very old episode of TV I saw uh, several years ago. Now, when I watch something on TV, um, I'm I'm a YouTube guy. 
I'm on Netflix. There's a new Marvel show that just came out I haven't gotten to watch yet. I like watching all that new stuff. But it reminded me of a very old TV episode, actually from 1963, believe it or not. I was not alive in 1963. But I want to talk to you guys about the Andy Griffith show. Yeah. Now, admittingly, I can't whistle. Can anybody whistle it for us? It sounds like Tweety Birds, but you get the point. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I'm eating crow right now because um, this is actually one of, if not Pastor Dale's favorite TV show ever. Him and our lead team chair, Jim Fayez, talk about this show all the time, and they text each other about this show. They watch the reruns at night and text each other about the episode that's on TV that night. And I tease these guys to no end, and here I am referencing the Andy Griffith show. Dale, once again, you were right. (laughs) Once again. Um... So I actually, my very first year in seminary, which is like school for somebody to learn how to become a pastor, if you're unfamiliar with that, um, I had a midterm for one class, and I was like, okay, I could take a midterm. This is academia. I'm going to take this. I said, here's the deal. Here's your midterm. Follow this link. Watch this episode of The Andy Griffith Show and write a paper on it. I'm like, that's the midterm? <laughs> what? So we watched this episode of the Andy Griffith Show. It's from season three, and it's called Man in a Hurry. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay. Um, Here's the premise of the show. So here's Andy Griffith. He's the sheriff of this beautiful small town in North Carolina called Mayberry. It's just this idyllic, beautiful town. And this man here is named Mr. Tucker. Now, Mr. Tucker is a businessman from a big city, and he is in a hurry well, his car breaks down two miles outside of Mayberry. He gets out of his car, sees a sign, walks into Mayberry. And he's walking around the streets of Mayberry, and he can't find anybody. Every shop is closed. Every business is closed. Nobody's on the streets. There's not a whole lot of traffic. He can't find anyone because he realizes church is getting out, and everybody is in church at Mayberry. Everyone's coming on out and you know, reminiscing with each other and you know, talking about different things and fun little jokes and whatnot. And then everyone, as they're leaving the church, says, all right, good Sabbath, have a good Sabbath, have a good Sabbath, have a good Sabbath. Well, this man, Mr. Tucker, increasingly becomes more and more frustrated and infuriated because he has very important business to do. He has to be in Charlotte the very next day. Somebody is going to fix my car. And they say, oh, man, that's great. Sounds like you have a fuel line that broker is clogged. Fix it for you first thing tomorrow morning. We're closed on Sundays. And everything is closed in Mayberry on Sundays. Not only that, everyone walks at a different pace on Sunday. People are having family meals, communal meals, taking naps. They're talking slower. Everything is slower. Nothing is fast. Nothing is in a hurry. Nothing is unavailable. And it drives Mr. Tucker nuts. What's wrong with you people? Don't you know we're living in the 1960s? This is the 20th century. What's wrong with you all? And then eventually by the end of the episode, he falls asleep in a rocking chair on Andy's front porch. And the ways of Mayberry have overcome him too. It's a beautiful episode. Beautiful, beautiful. It's a perfect depiction of the idea of what Sabbath is God prescribed in scripture. We're going to talk about that could look like and the pressures of culture today. And sadly, the Mr. Tucker culture, the hustle, the 24-7, the go, 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 has overcome the way of Mayberry 
in our culture today. If you're a boomer and you're here today, you have seen this transformation happen in your lifetime. How many of you can think about um, growing up where not much was open on Sundays, and now everything is open on Sundays, with the exception of Chick-fil-A in Jesus' name? Mm. But everything else, everything else is available 24-7, and everything is open every day of the week, and everyone is working every day of the week, and everything is faster and faster and faster. In fact, all the technological advancements and developments that we've had over all these years, we thought we'd have more leisure time, but in fact, it squeezed out all the leisure time and forced us to be more productive and make more bricks and more bricks and more In fact, I read a study, even just the past 20 years, so like when my generation entered the workforce, in the past 20 years, work has gone up by 15%, while leisure has dropped by 30%. That is a 45-point differential between work and leisure in our culture. Friends, do any of you feel this? We all do. And we've got to learn how to do this differently. Whether you're a spiritual person or not, or Jesus person or not, we've got to learn how to do this differently. Listen to this quote from uh, author Wayne Muller. He said, if we do not allow for rhythm of rest in our overly busy lives, illness becomes our Sabbath. Our pneumonia, our cancer, our heart attack, our accidents create Sabbath For us, we will learn to choose the Sabbath, or the Sabbath will choose it for us. Uh, Several of us reflect on Psalm 23 and in more traditional translations when it says, The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing, He makes me lie down in green pastures. If we don't willingly lay down and rest under God's leadership, He will make you lie down for your own good. I want to lie down before God makes me lie down. Don't you? Yeah. Yeah. We've got to get better at this. So let's talk about this. What is Sabbath? What in the world is this concept that we're talking about today? Well, here's a basic working definition. I'm going to skip ahead just for a quick second here. Here's a working definition of Sabbath that we have. Sabbath, we're going to say, is a day of rest once a week. Not once a year vacation. The way the Bible describes it, it's a practice, it's a spiritual discipline, it's a rhythm of a day of rest once a week from labor to connect with God and each other. A day of rest once a week from labor to connect with God and each other. This is what it's meant to be. Here's where it comes from. It starts in Genesis chapter 2, right at the beginning of the creation of the whole world. So Genesis chapter 2, on the seventh day, so God is creating the world at seven days, By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. He had created the entire universe and the humanity and everything, just incredible. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day, made it holy. We're going to come back to that. Because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. So God models for all of his people for all time. He did work for six days. On the seventh day, he rested. Now, it's not because God got tired. God is omnipotent. God is all-powerful. God doesn't get tired. But God knows just because he can work doesn't mean he has to work. It means God shows restraint. And God knows that it's okay to step back and to see that all of you have done and go, "Ah, it is good. Now, you fast forward centuries and centuries and centuries. 
And all throughout Genesis, this isn't mentioned again. And even in the beginning of Exodus, this isn't mentioned again. And when Moses comes to set the Israelites free after 400 years of brutal slavery from Pharaoh's rule, it's not mentioned again until after he's led them through the Red Sea, until Charlton Heston has said, let my people go. (laughs) Until all of that is done, then God brings us up again. And he brings it up in Exodus and the Ten Commandments, and it's reiterated again in the book of Deuteronomy. And check this out here. So this is the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments go where there's the first three that are about how to love God. Then the bottom six are how to love your neighbor. But right smack dab in the middle is commandment number four. And if you analyze all the words of the Ten Commandments, a third of the content of the Ten Commandments is in commandment number four because it's important. And this is what God said. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall work and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son, your daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox, nor your donkey, nor your pickup truck, nor any of your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your town so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. This is huge here. No one's exempt from this. Adults and children, men and women, upper class, lower class, animals even. This is for everybody. Remember, this is huge. Imagine if you're coming from being a slave for 400 years in Egypt. For 400 years. And you're set free. And all of a sudden, God says, now that I am your God, now that I am your Pharaoh, now that I am your leader, I have rules for you. And these people who know nothing but slavery generationally go, okay, what is it you want? And then he goes at you and says, remember that you were slaves in Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Wait, what would you say? Whatever you do. Take a day off once a week, will you? Can you imagine how that must have blown their minds? Anybody who says the God of the Old Testament is mean and cruel just isn't reading it the right way. It's the kindness of God. So they begin to practice this, and over the centuries, the Israelites are practicing the Sabbath, and then because they get it wrong like people do, like they do, like we do, they multiply it and add to it and deformed it and change it. So Jesus came along to clarify it and fulfill it. And Jesus said this here in Mark 2. After they're getting the Sabbath all completely wrong, he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Like, this isn't a rule for you to keep. This is a gift. This is for you. This is not you for it. I gave this for you to enjoy. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Hugely controversial. This is one of the first things people wanted to kill Jesus for. Not even saying that he was the Son of God, but that the Sabbath was made for people, not for religious legalism. It's a gift. Not every sermon is easy to preach. Like some sermons are easier to preach than others, and some are harder to preach than others. Like the hardest sermons to preach as a pastor um, are like on uh, hell. Like Pastor Dale uh, always says that no one needs a timid doctor and no one needs a timid preacher. 
You need both to tell you the truth, right? So we believe in the whole Bible for the whole world. So we'll teach it all. But the heart of serves like, man, we're going to preach on hell? Because Jesus preached on hell. But every preacher who teaches on hell should do so with a tear in their eye. So we'll do that. Um, it's hard to preach about money because of all the dumb scandals and crooks who are pretending to be preachers. And then we're just trying to teach what Jesus said about money. And everyone else is making it more complicated in the culture. So it's hard to preach about money. It's hard to preach about sex. Super uncomfortable, but man, we'll go there and we'll talk about it. The most uncomfortable sermon I ever had to preach was when C.O.H. Espanol, the pastor Ephraim, got COVID and he couldn't preach the Sunday we had to do the sex sermon. His backup had a baby on Friday, and so the only person left to go preach in Spanish on sex was me. I don't speak Spanish. (laughs) Very difficult, very, very difficult. You know, actually, there's also a hard sermon to preach about this stuff. Sabbath. And you would think, like, this, oh, this is easy. We're going to tell people God wants to give them a day off, and he's the God of rest and the afternoon nap. This is like cookies on the bottom shelf. It's actually not. Because in my experience as a pastor, every time I preach and teach about this, we live in such a frantic, high-pressure culture where people in their work feel like they absolutely cannot take a day off or they absolutely cannot stop from their list or they cannot stop from the demands of their studying and their school. Whatever it is, people feel so defeated, they just quit. And every time I've preached about this before, the discouragement is palpable in the room and go, well, that's just impossible. So I'll live nine of the Ten Commandments, but that's just a wash. I'm here to tell you today that God's kingdom runs on grace. Is anybody else grateful for that? It runs on grace. And what I mean by that is that God gives grace for when we get it wrong in life. And God also gives us grace. He gives us power to get it right. Grace isn't just what forgives us. Grace is power to be able to walk in God's ways. When God gives a command, he's also going to give you the help to be able to fulfill it. And if you're willing to try, I'm here to tell you today, God's spirit is here to help you learn how to practice Sabbath in 2023 and in South Florida. And with all the pressures of your life, God can do it if you'll let him. So are you willing? All right, let's get practical. Um, It was my daughter Susanna's birthday this past week. She turned four years old, everybody. Oh, look at this cutie. Look at her. Just stop it. Oh, my gosh. She's just adorable. Well, for her birthday, you know, we obviously had to make a cake, right? And there are four basic ingredients to a cake. It's Now, I'm not a baker, so somebody go, well, technically, just roll with it, okay? (laughs) You need to have flour, sugar, eggs, and baking powder. Broadly speaking, right? Now, if you have three out of those four, you'll have something. (laughs) Might not be a cake, (laughs) right? You got to have all four to have a basic, normal cake. You got to have the ingredients for all of that. Well, there are four basic ingredients for practically how to have a great Sabbath. If you have three out of the four, you're going to have a great day off. You won't have Sabbath. And the Sabbath is the best type of day off. So take notes, write this down real quick. First, first ingredient of a Sabbath is you just have to stop. Like you just got to stop from what you do. 
You got to stop your labor. Now, everyone's in different seasons of this. It looks different for everybody. But whatever your work is and whatever your labor is, just stop and pause. Um, If you um, have a full-time job or if you have a couple jobs, one day a week, try not to work in your job. Um, In our family, in our season right now, I'm at work. Leah's at home with the kids. Uh, my job is church. There's one day a week where I need to not be writing sermons and where I not need to not be answering emails and being on Slack and doing pastoring stuff. There needs to be one day a week where Leah's not doing laundry, where she's not doing dishes, paper plates. Come on. There needs to be one day a week where we're not making grocery lists. That you have Whatever it is, if you're a student, there needs to be one day a week where you don't do homework, where you don't do projects, where you don't do reading. Just one day a week where you just let it go. Now, this is all within reason. This isn't legalism. It's not like we look at our one-and-a-half-year-old Asa and go, what's the Sabbath day? We're going to put an overnight diaper on you, and it's good luck for 24 hours, kid. <laughs> Don't be legalistic here. The more, the more legalistic you get with it, the more you miss the principle of it. Make sense? Okay? So, like, be rational, all right? But stop. And, you know, here's what I learned. I learned this early on in my very first year of seminary. Of I was overwhelmed, I had 200 pages a day to read, and I was ignoring my wife, and I, I just stunk at this until one day God tapped me on the shoulder and said, the most spiritual thing you can do is to close your book, don't pick it up again till tomorrow, go sit on the couch and watch some TV with Leah. That was the most spiritual thing I could do, and I learned that God can do more with my six days of productivity and trusting him than I can do on my own with seven. Would you be willing to experiment and just try it and see what God might do in your work and in your finances and in your home and in your life if you worked for six and trusted him with one instead of just held all seven for yourself? Try it. So you want to stop. Two, this one's easy. Rest. Relax. Chill out. Take a nap. I don't know. Whatever. Here's what it means to rest. Prepare the day beforehand. The Bible talks about um, in the Hebrew calendar, they didn't have names for days. They had the first day, the second day, the third day, the fourth day, the fifth day, the sixth day, and then Sabbath day. And Sabbath in Hebrew literally means stop. Everyone say Shabbat. Shabbat. It means stop. So they had day one, two, three, four, five, six, and on the seventh day, they called it stop day. Well, on day six, they called it the day of preparation. And they prepared... So they could have a stop day. You know how you rest? You work really hard the day before your Sabbath to get the laundry done, get the grocery shopping done, get the homework done, get the emails done, get the lawn done, unless you really love doing the lawn as fun in your hobby. Get it done so you can rest. Okay? Third ingredient is delight. So it's not just... Crash and watch Netflix all day long. Don't binge Netflix all day long on your day off. That is a terrible Sabbath day. And I like Netflix, okay? Don't do that. Delight is so much different and better than that. Ruth Haley Barton says this. She says, what is to replace all that we are excluding from our Sabbath time? The simple answer is whatever delights you and replenishes you. Don't just crash. Replenish yourself. The late, great Tim Keller wrote this. Because the world is full of ugly things, we need the Sabbath to feed our soul with beauty. So after you stopped and after you prepared to rest, stop and smell the roses. Go outside. 
Go get by some water. Feel the sand under your feet. Smell the top of your kids' heads. Smell the, the great fragrances coming from grilling some great meat. Sorry, vegetarians. <laughs> Go on a date with your spouse. Go out to dinner with your closest friends. Go see a great movie. Do something that brings beauty into your world. Just don't crash and do nothing. Go consume beauty. It's healing for the human soul. And lastly, stop, rest, delight, and then it's worship. This is what makes Sabbath different than just a day off. Exodus 28, this is the Exodus version of the fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Holy means set apart. Holy means different. This is why the best Sabbath days, the ones where you not only connect with yourself and you rest, you connect with people, but you connect with God. I remember how Psalm 23 ends. It ends with a picture of David holding a cup. It says, you are the God who fills my empty cup to overflowing. That's a picture of Sabbath. That on your one day a week, where you're resting from your labor, when you lift up an empty cup in the presence of God in worship, and God fills it with his goodness and love. If you're here, if you're streaming online, you're already doing this on Sunday. Praise God for that, right? You're already doing it. You're already ahead of the curve. You're already here. But think about the two or three things that you do that connect you with God. Maybe it's reading, maybe it's journaling, maybe it's going out for a walk, whatever it is. Do those things. Lift up your cup. Let God fill you. And he will reset your life with rest that will save you from the pace of life. Let's be a people of Mayberry. Let's practice Sabbath. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. So, Lord, we thank you. And even now, I ask that you would search us for ways where we could do this better, where you're calling us into deeper waters of obedience with you. Teach us how to Sabbath, Lord, and how to obey this command. Lord, we believe in all the other commands. We don't murder. You know, we don't, we don't kill. We don't lie or steal. We try not to worship false idols, and Lord, we want to obey the Sabbath too. Would you pour out your grace for where we've gotten this wrong, where we've been like Mr. Tucker? But Lord, also pour out grace so that we can walk in the rest you've designed for humanity. Help us to live out this wonderful command that's meant to bring life and freedom. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. We're going to keep an atmosphere of prayer in here for anybody who needs to stay and just connect with the rest of God. We have prayer teams up here on the sides, and if you are worn out and weary on life and you need God to fill your cup, if you're here in the room, I encourage you, uh, come up to these prayer partners here and let them pray for you that God would fill you with his rest and he'll do it. He's that good. Otherwise, would you prepare your hearts to receive this? And so, Lord, we lean into you now. You are the God of rest, the good shepherd. We follow you. Lord, would you fill empty cups with your rest? Teach us to walk in your ways. It's in your name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Friends, go in God's peace. We'll see you next week. If you need to come this way, come on up.